0: Hello, welcome to or welcome back to A Runner's Life podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with Courtney Arm. Whilst we do talk about her running career in the early part of her life, what's more interesting is what she's doing right now. She is a multidisciplinary designer, illustrator, and freelance creative based in Portland, Oregon. We talk about her experience of being Korean American and how it shaped her perspective on the world, her artwork, art is a way of self-expression but it's also a way of holding a mirror back to the world that we inhabit to see things as they truly are and it's a great way to highlight things that we also may overlook. We talk about how she uses her art as a tool for activism and some people might be listening to this intro thinking okay but what is the link into running? And the way that I see it is art and running have similar characteristics on one hand use it to express ourselves it's a way to be creative it's a way to use your voice it's a way to engage your community it's a way to make a change so with that being said let's head to the conversation with Courtney hey Courtney how you doing
1: I'm doing great how about you
0: yeah not too bad thank you I know people call you corn so you talk about like how that came about in terms of your nickname
1: yeah, it's actually a really old story, but back in like elementary school, I used to get called Corn on the Cob because my last name is On, um, and that was like a really silly nickname. And then like in high school, it evolved to like Colonel Corn, like food related, but also like cool being I don't know like a general or something. And it just slowly kind of took over. I've never really liked the name Courtney that much, um, so I just started using Corn, and like everyone's been calling me that since like forever. <laughs>
0: I love that story. I never knew that before, but thank you for sharing that. Yeah. (laughs) So this podcast is called a runner's life. Can you talk about either what, you know, a runner's life or what an active life looks like for you?
1: Yeah. I'm not sure if there's like a right or wrong answer, but for me, I think like a runner's life really is just a lifestyle of someone who enjoys or is seeking movement actively, maybe on your feet, but maybe not because there's a lot of ways to be active these days. Um, it's kind of funny, actually, because I would have considered myself having a runner's lifestyle back in my teens. Um, I ran long distance for like seven odd years. And I was consistently training all year round. But to be honest, like I haven't ran for almost three years and done any of that since. So I don't really find myself having that much of an active lifestyle these days.
0: So when you're running when you're a little bit younger, was that more for like competition or just kind of the enjoyment?
1: definitely competition and that's probably why i don't run as much as i used to because i was always running for track so it was always about hitting times definitely just more aggressive in training
0: and do you find that you probably might restart running for, for fun i don't know if that even if that works really fun with a small f <laughs>
1: <laughs> i think it's hard i i tried the past few years quite a bit of times um i think it was hard just because i moved to the city and i haven't really found a groove of running around in the city like it's i grew up on the pacific northwest and it's just a completely different feeling like running on trails and running in the middle of nowhere um instead of like running in the middle of like a bustling city so i definitely think i'd like have to drive somewhere to start running again
0: okay well never say never to be honest, i think, I think <laughs> most runners like peak towards like their kind of 30s 40s and they always say that women actually are the better ultra runners so not that i'm suggesting you would be an ultra runner but who knows. <laughs> You never know. You never know. One of the reasons why I want to speak to you on the podcast, and we spoke about this offline, is you're an artist. And I'm really inspired by what you're doing. Because like we said before, I was kind of really that way inclined at school. That was where my focus was. But the advice around me was, that's not really a job. You need to get a proper job, kind of following other people's ideals. And ended up doing that. And as time has gone on, I've kind of actually slowly gone back into the creative side with podcasting with creating some films and things like that so it's kind of coming back but as an artist I think art is so important because it's one of the areas I think that really sort of holds a, a mirror back to us as people in terms of like the world that we live in and how we move through space I mean what's your sort of thoughts on that
1: I mean, absolutely, I couldn't believe like more wholeheartedly that art directly reflects like the best and worst parts of society, you know our relationships, us I think for me, I've had such a personal relationship with art that it's really become kind of this all encompassing tool for me that you know represents my desires, my voices, my dreams, um just kind of like a bit of everything,
0: yeah, but I think with art and running it's still a way of like expressing yourself within the world as we move through space or however you kind of inhabit space but in terms of artists like who kind of inspires you
1: yeah I mean that's a hard one because I feel like I like learned all of these very fancy artists straight off the back like I went to a pretty um like fancy design school so I feel like they teach you all about like Bauhaus designers and I was obsessed with like Picasso growing up because I was like ooh, it's abstract but I think like nowadays I find myself like less inspired you know by typically these old white dudes that were taught to think are cool and more so just like, I don't know, a lot of peers that I'm seeing online, um, at work, in real life, um, just people are just posting artwork. Um, I feel like I'm just like a big fangirl for all the people I follow. And I'm like continuously amazed by like the level of creativity that I'm able to see online, um, just from people I have no idea about, but I can just really feel their work.
0: Yeah, 100%. I guess what makes it more real to us is because like, I guess you can relate to the life that they're living. And it's in, I guess, our present, really. Was before it was kind of not as much.
1: Definitely. Yeah, it's definitely just like, I think the content and subject matter of art has a big influence on me. I think that's why I don't feel inspired by a lot of historic artists, like not saying that there wasn't ones who were making really good statements. There obviously were, but I think it's just a bit more relevant for me, people that are doing work today.
0: Yeah, I put this to you before we started chatting. And one of the first things that you said that art does is art is a tool for your creativity. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think like a lot of young artists, like making art was really just something I liked to do at first, because I had an interest in things that looked nice. And I wanted to make stuff that looked nice, too. And like, I think that's really just been continued throughout my adult and design career, like it's really just an extension of I want to make things that look nice, but like, also, they should do other things and have a bit more substance and thinking about how I can innovate with art and create solutions to real life problems. But a lot of that is just like, an outlet to make nice looking things, which is a weird validation thing that I think a lot of artists have.
0: It goes hand in hand really. I mean, can you talk about that process of like creating art?
1: Absolutely. Like I really like do believe that my creative process is like pretty systematic. Like I've been working as a designer for years. So you pretty quickly learn ways to like force creativity. I know it's a bad term, but really just creating clear steps for like creating work consistently and on schedule. But like to be honest, I find that most of what I consider like my art per se is often the things that I don't do for money and are just for me. And that process is usually like quite sporadic. Like I could be watching my favorite TV show and like an idea just hits me based on like what a character said or a certain word or just a scene. And then I'll just like grab my phone and like start scratching down notes. And like the next day, if like not then, if I'm not doing anything, I'll just start sketching sketching on my iPad. And like, that's really kind of that. I think for me, art has really always been a means of communicating. So I think a lot of my process, systematic or sporadic, comes from what that message is.
0: Okay. And you've also spoken about art as a tool for expressing your emotions and making your voice heard, which kind of ties into what you've just said. Can you just explain what that means and what that process looks like?
1: Absolutely. I think also just as a tool for creativity, art has really been a way of expressing my voice and my opinions. And I think that grew from something as trivial as like, I like to draw things that I used to like. So it was a lot of dogs and cartoon characters growing up. And now that's really just evolved into drawing subjects and ideas that resonate with me today. I've never really been that eloquent with my words Um, but always pretty steady with my hands so it felt like a natural thing to kind of make art that would express the things I wanted to say if I didn't know how to quite do that with words
0: And just sort of tying into what you just said there was there ever a point where you realized I don't know it might be in a series of points so it might be hard to pinpoint but maybe one one of those points where you kind of realized that your voice was important and you had something to share
1: yeah i it's hard because I feel like I have a few different points. I feel like I felt that way in school when I felt like I had, had gotten validation from like peers and teachers that were like, hey, your art style is cool and like you're actually saying cool things with it. But I think me, I think all of us being very validation speaking, it definitely happened more so to me later when I started getting a bigger social media presence. And I got a lot of followers really quick that were liking my work. It definitely felt very validating and that I was like, hey, people actually want to see the things I have to say and see my artwork.
0: And can you talk a little bit about that process in the sense of like, you know, on one hand, there's a market for what you're doing. And but then I guess, like, how do you sort of protect your piece and give yourself space to be creative and not kind of just be in the same place? Because we're people, we're kind of always changing, aren't we?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it's first and setting boundaries. And I think a lot of that's been setting strict boundaries between my work and what I post online, what I consider more of like the artwork that I do just for me, um, as well as kind of just giving myself the freedom to flow and ebb and change. Like, I mean, if you even look, just look at my work over the past year, it's changed a lot, maybe not in like the core subject matter, but how I'm approaching it um the tools I'm using, the ways I'm communicating that. And I think just not being tied down to like, oh, I have to express something this way because I did it like that before.
0: You talked about art as being a tool for making change or being vital in community power. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think more recently art has really reflected my desires to make change within my community. Um, mostly just in using it in spaces and organizations that are working for good that could really, you know, use creative flair to expand their work. I really can't emphasize enough that there's so much power in art and the use of activism and creating visual solutions that support and enhance effective change, you know, and I'm very much aware that like my art or any art for that matter, isn't suddenly going to like end in inequity in the world. But I definitely recognize that it can be a small but still incredibly valid part in working alongside real solutions.
0: Yeah, I agree. And like you said, you, it's part of the process. And I imagine this has probably happened to you before where, you know, you're doing the work and you're in your space, you're doing it, but you, it's almost like a vacuum because you don't always get the feedback from other people, even though they are enjoying it, but they might not necessarily tell you. Then all of a sudden you get like an email that someone messaged you and goes, your work has impacted me to do X, Y, and Z. And you're just kind of like, you're like, wow. I mean, can you sort of share any of those sort of moments?
1: Yeah, it's always hard because like, I feel like a lot of people don't, say a lot on social media. Obviously they do, but I think a lot of people don't comment when they like things. They just like stuff. So it's always like hard for me knowing when people like my work. Um, but there's definitely been a few instances where I've checked my direct messages and just seen like the most like heartfelt, sweet messages. Like I remember one was from like an aspiring designer um, who's also Korean American and they were just like, my family doesn't support the work I'm doing, but like your work's really inspiring me. This is exactly what I want to do. And we ended up having this like good three-hour like virtual coffee like a week later like it was probably like the most amazing like life-changing thing that i was like man people like my stuff this is so cool and i feel like i'm just consistently really amazed when i have moments like that with people reaching out to me
0: it's amazing yeah Like you said to like when you know you've had that impact but it's not the you know the main goal is it? it's not like the first goal but mm-hmm. it's i guess it's one of those weird ones because you've got you've got to uh, almost take it with a pinch of salt really because if it was t- if you were too invested in what people were saying then you would never do your work
1: absolutely i'm just like the amount of like hate and like discouraging messages i get like probably overwhelms the positive ones unfortunately but i'm like I, you definitely have to take it with a grain of salt otherwise you could never post anything
0: yeah how do you kind of like build up that resilience when you're getting those messages which aren't as healthy as say some of the other ones
1: yeah i think it was really a learning process for me because i rose to internet fame really quickly on instagram so i didn't really know how to deal with it so i just instantly had like hundreds of hate messages hundreds of mean dms and emails and stuff and at first i was like okay i have to read every single one respond to it give them like point a b and c while they're wrong And all these things, and like very quickly, I got burnt out on doing that, and was like, "Why am I doing this? This is a waste of my time." And it's really just been a process of like limiting my intake now. And the first part of doing that was really just limiting comments on all my posts, so people that aren't my followers can't comment stuff. And I'd say that like just instantly reduced probably like 90% of the stuff I was getting. And I just stopped checking my direct messages, and I think I just set a boundary that I'm not going to look at these messages. They're not worth my time at this point.
0: I think that's so important, really, what you said about at the start, kind of want to respond to everyone. But then you realize if it's like a point system, for example, if someone takes minus 10 points, and you've only got 20 points in a the day, then it has an impact. And like, I think that's so cool. What you're talking about in terms of setting those boundaries, making sure that you're protecting your piece so you can be the best version of you.
1: Absolutely. So important.
0: And just sort of going back to that kind of positive message, it must be really cool as well. You know, you said, you know, fellow Korean American, and can you sort of talk about what, being korean-american means to you i mean the sense of like belonging having a home having a base
1: of course um it's actually something i really struggled to define and find belonging in growing up um i didn't used to call myself korean-american because i didn't really feel korean i just knew i wasn't white And my family's actually a second generation, and my dad immigrated to the US in high school and he met my mom later on. Um, But my dad really rejected a lot of Korean culture or family intentionally or unintentionally. It's hard to tell. Um, But he didn't speak Korean around us. We didn't really eat Korean food because my mom cooked, and we didn't see really any of his family since they were so far away. So I really definitely felt like disconnected from my Korean side. But it was really apparent that I didn't fit in with kids at school because of the way me and my family looked, you know, I found myself in this kind of weird category of otherness, like, not really Korean, but not really white either. And it's really taken until more recent years that I've had this chance to reconnect with the Korean side that I really missed out in my childhood and meet with other second generation Korean Americans, you know, have experiences similarly. But I think the title Korean American has really resonated with me because I think it really defines that uncertainty too, like that grayness between racial and cultural identities, really this diversity of stories that I think describes the experiences of all generations of Koreans in the U.S., you know, the connected and disconnected ones like Me Too.
0: And how does that sense of connectedness and disconnectedness impact or influence your artwork?
1: I think it's always impacts kind of my identity and my positioning and that um, I always wanna be aware that I don't reflect the experiences of all Korean Americans. And I think that's a broader idea that can be applied to all activism and intersectionality is that your experience does not define all experiences of the identity you belong to, but it's still a valid one that you can bring to the conversation. I think having that disconnected identity isn't alone, and I think having that perspective can be helpful as well in describing um, problems that are facing like Asian cultural identities as well.
0: That question of identity is such an important one because on one hand it's what we think what is imposed on us and what other people tell us. For me, something that I get being black British is people say to me, okay, where are you from? And I go, well, I'm born here, but were your parents born? Because they were second generation, so they're like, I'm second generation so yeah they're they're born in Britain okay but where are their parents from and then it's like how far back to Africa do you want me to go and it's like where are you from from exactly it's that question and it's like well to be honest we could do the same to you to be honest like everyone goes back to Africa at some point so let's just uh, (laughs) go down that rabbit hole so it's an interesting one in terms of what you're sort of saying because what you believe is your identity and how that changes as you know more about yourself and then trying to fit that in to the environment you live in is is quite a challenging process i'm not sure if it's ongoing but it's it's definitely a fluid thing definitely so something that i wanted to do in the podcast really which is something slightly different is to talk about the word failure and i feel that failure kind of gets like a really bad rap in terms of it's something that you've got to avoid and actually as i've learned through running and through life that actually failing Isn't actually a bad thing because you know it teaches us something. It's like, what did you do? What what can you learn from it? And this new section, I've basically put you know three some points over to you. You've come back to me with three points of how you've kind of maybe turned failure around and things that you've learned in your life. So the first area is work. Can you talk a little bit about that, please?
1: Absolutely. I had a really disjointed start um, to joining like the work industry after graduating. My um, started at was basically my dream job. And I quickly found out that the work, and particularly the work atmosphere, didn't live up to my standards at all. And I was constantly feeling undermined and disrespected. And it really just felt like a big failure to me when I quit my job, even though it was not directly my doing. I was just kind of like, is it me? Am I the problem? And then I took another job. and which was absolutely nothing like the previous, but it was also like an exciting opportunity. But, you know, soon enough, the same things kept happening again. Um, But I decided, hey, I'll stick it out for longer. But, you know, flash forward a couple of years, and I ended up quitting that job too. And it just felt like another slap in the face of failure. Like, why can't I just like my job? Like people around me were telling me I was creating too high of standards that I just have to suck it up to work in the design industry. Um, But I, you know, kind of realized that through those experiences that I, maybe there wasn't just a job out there for me and maybe i wouldn't be completely satisfied working in industry you know working for someone else and particularly these companies that i didn't care about um it was absolutely the biggest reason that i went freelance a couple of years ago and i really haven't thought about turning back since because of it so it was a really positive learning experience even though it was kind of traumatic going through um, working at different studios at that time
0: i guess it's a difficult one because i guess at the time it feels quite intense and you're thinking what is happening here but then when you look back and you join the dots it's all those little clues that you should do your own thing yeah it's easy to look back now
1: definitely at the time i was just like oh my gosh this is the worst thing ever like i will never like a job and now i'm just like oh this is great i learned that i don't like doing that and now i don't have to do that again
0: yeah the, the best way and the next one you talk about personal relationships can you expand on that please
1: yeah um I'll be honest, like I was a really bad friend up until a couple of years ago, like horrible. I was the type of person who really overanalyzed every relationship I had to the point where I would simultaneously think that they hate me because they haven't texted me recently or they'd gone somewhere without me. um, When I also hadn't bothered to reach out either, like, I just let a lot of great friendships weaken and even slip through the cracks completely when I was in school and I first started working because I was so busy and using that as an excuse. And I just didn't nurture or prioritize these relationships. And, you know, and through acknowledging these mistakes the past few years, it's really made me want to put in the extra mile to let those around me know that I value them, you know, not only just through my words, but through my actions too consistently.
0: And without naming the people or the situations, can you talk a little bit about how you, one, recognize that in yourself and two, made that change to put procedures in place to think when the thoughts come in to be like, actually, maybe it's not true. And maybe, yeah. you know, it's different.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing with me was honestly going to therapy and talking about all these bad friendships I had. And my therapist just telling me, hey, I think you're the bad friend, actually. And I was like, Oh, man. And it really was this whole process of unwinding and realizing that I was the one who wasn't reaching out to friends. I wasn't the one putting in the extra time. um, So that took a while to sit with. And I think now it's been a process of first reconciling those relationships, apologizing and acknowledging the mistakes I made in the past, um, and really setting forward a standard of being a consistent friend. And for me, that sometimes is systematic. I have to remind myself to do things like, Texting people, checking up on them, obviously wishing them happy birthdays, like making consistent time to hang out with them. I think it's just holding myself accountable to actually being a good friend. And I think a lot of it's come a lot more naturally now that I have that awareness that I need to be active.
0: When your therapist said to you, sorry, this is a bit of a deep question, but <laughs> when your therapist said to you, you're the bad friend, what was your initial reaction?
1: I honestly, I was really shocked. I didn't know what they meant. And then honestly, a second later, I was just like, it kind of just clicked. And I realized it too. Because I mean, I was overanalyzing everything. And I realized I hadn't analyzed myself in the situation. And once they had positioned that, I was just like, Oh, my gosh, you're right.
0: It's so interesting saying that. And I remember listening to a different podcast. I can't remember who it was. And he was saying that he classified his thinking brain. I think he called it Michael or something like that. So, when a thought came in, he'd be like, All right, Michael, I'm going to park that for a second. Obviously, he didn't say it out loud because obviously people would be like, What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it just goes to show sometimes what we think initially isn't necessarily true. And having those procedures in place to be like, Is this true? Is it real? It, it's definitely a process. It comes, you know, it's not easy for everyone.
1: Oh, definitely. I'm like, it's definitely an ongoing challenge. Even me having this hindsight, looking back and still working through this stuff in therapy, it's very much a daily acceptance and challenge to do better.
0: 100%. It feels like brushing your teeth, isn't it? (laughs) Or having to, you know, have a shower or whatever. You just don't do it once in your life and you're done. It's the same thing for the the mental side, isn't it?
1: It's definitely a habit that like you have to force at first, but like then it definitely becomes intuitive, natural, but it's definitely just like a lot to keep up with it.
0: Yeah, 100%. And it's obviously not been super easy as well with the uh, kind of lockdown as well. And I don't know if you found this as well. When people start interacting again, it's a bit of a weird space because if you're a hugger or you weren't a hugger, do you know what I mean? It's like, do you hug? Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, how close do you go? Do you shake their hands? Do you fist pump them? What do you do? Right
1: definitely it's definitely very awkward like getting back into like i don't know formalities again Of like i don't know how people want to be near me and it's just like hard like establishing those boundaries like knowing which friends that i can invite over to my house which ones like i don't really know what they're doing so i can't hang out with them so it's definitely weird tiptoeing around all this new stuff
0: yeah 100 uh the final part of this question uh, you you put forward in terms of sort of lessons that you learned through failure is on self-care
1: Yeah, this is probably the worst one. But I'd say up until last year, like I had never really prioritized my own health in any significant way, like both physically and mentally. Like I had worked myself to the bone for years on years, and, you know, working these 60 plus hour work weeks, like balancing pretty much three different full time jobs and like telling myself that my work was my passion. So it wasn't really working and it would all be okay. But very shortly after, you know, I was falling behind deadlines. I'm missing projects altogether. I'm really just failing all of my obligations as a result. And it really took like completely burning myself out to the point that I was like bedridden for days. Um, that I kind of realized, hey, maybe I should take care of myself, um, not just out of necessity, but something is something that's integral to my daily schedule. Um, and a lot of that has just been building in a more realistic schedule for my work, taking time off you know just because i don't have to you know justify it really setting those boundaries saying no to things i don't have time for and really just centering the idea that i'm much more productive um and probably a thousand times more happy when i'm doing stuff and i'm healthy too
0: i think that's such a important point i think wider than that i'm kind of thinking it's almost like that western cultural narrative about hustle culture you've got to work all hours that is sent to you, you you've got. If you're not grinding, someone else's
1: is.
0: Break. Mm-hmm. I know you sort of talked about the burnout. I guess if you're talking a little bit about it, I mean, how did you look at that now and think mm, actually that doesn't serve me? I need to work. I guess smarter, not just not just necessarily harder in terms of just doing more.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it was just kind of looking at like what was the result of that. Like, I don't think I had this great career moment because i was working that much i think putting in a larger context that i was like hey i think i was actually doing pretty bad at my job and then even taking like a larger context like oh i'm more than my job i don't have to be doing well at my job to be seen as like having value in society and like that's a really hard thing to unlearn um so i think it's definitely just been like a challenge figuring out um like what works with my schedule, what I need to be doing, but just positioning that, like, I don't feel like I was doing that great at that point in time. It wasn't serving me at all.
0: Just touching on what you just said there, and sometimes when you listen to former pro athletes or whatever, or people have been really successful in their industry, they can get really focused. Their identity gets wrapped in, like, that one thing that they're really good at. Without listing everything, you know, you're you're amazing at You could be an amazing juggler, piano player, I don't know, but... (laughs) how do you kind of make sure that you don't get your identity wrapped up in being an artist or you know being an activist I mean how do you kind of keep that balance that rhythm
1: yeah honestly I don't think I have a great balance I think it's really hard just because like I feel like I was stereotyped from a young age as like being the artsy person so I just like really took that to heart like growing up going to school and taking my job and it's hard like now, pretty much all of my hobbies, my work, my personal life revolves around art. So it's it's really hard to separate that from my identity. Um, I think it's been helpful for me to like do things that don't revolve around art. Like I recently picked up the hobby of roller skating, and that's like the most unartsy thing I can do because I'm completely so unathletic and so uncoordinated. So it's definitely been a challenge. But I think it's just been hard reframing that what identity means to me. Cause I think I've just learned or been intentionally taught that your identity is like what you're good at, what you make money at doing. Um, So it's just been a challenge figuring that out what it means to be me.
0: I think it's so important. Like you talked about, you know, the skating, the fun element, just having fun and just being in space.
1: (laughs) Yes, no, it's been such a refreshing thing to do because I was I've never skated in my life and did it for the first time. And it's been like such a fun learning process. Um like getting back into doing like subtle movement, getting back outside. Um, but it's definitely just been like a fun thing to do, even though I'm like I have no idea how to do it and I'm not very good at it, which is like I think a new thing for me.
0: So does that mean that we're gonna start seeing you on TikTok videos do like <laughs> skating backwards and tricks and flips and stuff? <laughs>
1: I hope not, God. I don't think I could ever get that good to do it, but I will save you that visual.
0: <laughs> we never know, never say never. <laughs> okay, back to b- bad jokes aside, um, you wrote a kid's book called A Little Book in Activism. Can you talk a little bit about this, the process of making it, and essentially like what you want kids and yeah, the adults who are reading it to take from it? Yeah,
1: Um, It honestly was like such a wonderful process from start to finish. Um, The founder of a kid's book about, I guess now it's called a kid's company about, um, actually reached out to me directly after I just like purchased a few of their books for my brother's baby shower. And like, they just emailed me out of the blue saying that they had seen my work online and like that they wanted to work together. So it really was like this amazing opportunity that just came out of nowhere that I was super stoked about. Um, And since we're both pretty like-minded and wanting to combine education on themes of activism, um, it really was like a swift process following. We came up with an idea together. I started storyboarding, writing, and, like, of course, my favorite part, illustrating. Um, But as far as the goal with the book, I was just really hoping, like, to let kids know that, like, they have a voice and they have a power to make a difference within their community, especially when it's combined with the voices of other people. And I think for parents, it's a reminder or even maybe just like a wake up call to their own voice and their own power in their community, you know, not only for themselves, but the value of instilling that belief in those around them, you know, their children included.
0: Can you talk a little bit about that? The importance of instilling that value of belief in kids and and people generally?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think it just comes a lot from personal experience that I felt like I didn't have a lot of values instilled to me of things I believe in today when I was a kid. And I definitely regret not having those influences around me and someone to tell me, hey, these are the things that are going on in the world. You know, they kind of suck. But guess what? Like you can have a voice, you can change things, um, you can have an impact when you get older. And now kind of working in the activism space and some small aspects, you know, I really realized that education is really kind of the core pillar of like all future work moving forward because like it's not that all of us are a lost cause but that there's so much value in instilling at a young age like the importance of caring and the importance of compassion and like that's just a really important value to me now
0: absolutely and also i'm sort of thinking as well you're also in these kids that you have a voice as well you deserve to be heard
1: yeah absolutely i'm just like i felt like i didn't really know that I had a voice growing up so it's definitely just been kind of a relearning process In that you do have a voice and like I wish I can like have that influence on some kid out there in some way
0: yeah 100% and I might be covering old ground but I'm just gonna say it anyways when you sort of spoke a little bit before about illustrating being one of your favorite parts can you sort of walk us through what that feels like when you're in that flow state of creating
1: yeah it's almost like I think like thoughtless when I'm in like a really good illustrating like grind like I'm definitely a very systematic person so I'm always like listing out all of my ideas and like deciding what I want to sketch and then it's very like you know I'm in study mode like researching what I should do getting examples drawing it out but then once I like have my sketch set up then I like go sit down on the couch and it's really just this relaxing moment of where I'm filling stuff in drawing stuff adding a bunch of layers and it almost just feels like effortless like time just passes so quickly when I'm illustrating like it's kind of wild to me
0: I think it's really important what you said that on one hand there's the natural ability the talent but then there's a the processes behind it as well it's not like you just sit on the couch waiting for inspiration <laughs> to hit you
1: yes I've never been that type of artist <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's going to come anytime soon. Yeah, don't call me at 7.30 because it's going to come. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Right. Almost like, yeah, like an Uber taxi, unfortunately. But yeah. (laughs) In terms of the work that you're doing, you could do easier things, you know, just very friendly stuff like dogs or like pets or houses, (laughs) stuff like people would love that are non-controversial. But you've gone into like talking a little bit about, you know, activism and talking about diversity in your artwork. And you've spoken about, obviously, some of the, the... Less positive reactions that you've had, can you talk about why encouraging like conversations about diversity is important in your in your work?
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, as much as I love drawing dogs and houses and like cute stuff, like it's not really the stuff that motivates me as a person, um, but you know of course i really like just sincerely believe that like we can't have meaningful conversations about diversity and like more importantly ones rooted in equity and liberation like without having an open conversation like some of the core steps to addressing inequity will always be education and communication because it's so important that we are encouraging these conversations to happen because we can't fix something if a huge percent of the population like doesn't know it exists or like is intentionally misled to believe it doesn't exist and that's why I think the center of my work will always be advocating for real and honest conversations that don't sugarcoat inequities because like I have a personal stake in this work. I think all of us do. So it definitely matters.
0: Sometimes even I sort of think of what, what is the right way to approach things. Sometimes it's do you figuratively, not literally, you know, hit someone over the head with just talking about race diversity or do you subtly try to slip it in and bring it into the conversation and, and which way is kind of the right way? I mean, not the right way, but what is the, the you know the way to get kind of people on side to who don't feel that way, they don't, who can't see other people's lived experiences.
1: Yeah, no, I'm definitely like that's like kind of my daily debate because I feel like when I first came into like equity work that i was like oh we should have you know compassion for everyone we should give them time we should openly communicate these ideas do it in a way that doesn't offend them and like i'm not saying that there isn't value in that work because someone has to do it like i think we do have to come into educational topics like with open arms but it's also just like it's not always my place to do that and sometimes it's okay to just not go into something because i know it's going to have a bad result from that person like it's not my place to educate every person that's upset with my work And I think there isn't necessarily a right or wrong way to do that. And just that there's multiple ways to do it. And I think it depends who you are in that situation. Like one person cannot do it all.
0: No, I I 100% agree. And I think it's such a challenging moment, because you go into the space, and you have these conversations, and you realize that there's people that literally do not care, you could be like, here's a video of something, or here's some evidence or whatever. And you're like, okay. And it's like, not that you're trying to Water down what you believe in but it's also obviously quite difficult as well to be like okay I can't change those hearts of minds but I can maybe change some other hearts of minds
1: absolutely it's just like that apathy can be really like shocking at first and I think that's part of why at first I was just like so gun ho on like changing everyone's mind and like that it's my like divine duty which also just plays in this idea of like saviorism and that I am the solution when you aren't but just like accepting that you can have impact within your circle. And like, you can't win over everybody, you know, in this space, but like all spaces included.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think so many people in the space, I know, definitely challenge that. It's like making sure that you're kind of doing what's, you kind of want to be on the right side of history, but on the same side, you don't want to burn out because it mm. can be literally like, it could almost like figuratively like burn your house down at the same time if you let yeah. it.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's like, you have to find what works for you and doing everything and anything is going to burn you out and you're not going to be effective if you're burnt out in the future.
0: Yeah. And even just down to the little things as well as people talk about the big changes, but sometimes it's just small changes in your community. That person reaching out to you, like you mentioned before, that has an impact, do you know what I mean? And they impact the people around them. Absolutely. Remembering those, those people matter and You've had those, those changes so so this is still in this like a, i don't know if it's a monologue or my own problems really so, <laughs> but i think what you do is amazing no i love it <laughs> anyhow so i think one thing like we've spoken about your work i really like about your your artwork and the stuff you talk about on instagram is you talk about issues from across a wide range of groups as opposed to i'm just talking about korean americans that's it not that it's a problem i think people are stronger together working together as opposed to being like in different groups. And I think sometimes that gets lost sometimes in the conversation about diversity. Can you talk talk about the importance in sort of your side as well with with highlighting and also collaborating with other people within the wider space?
1: I mean, absolutely. Like it's so incredibly vital that there's awareness and like more importantly, prioritization of how different marginalized groups and collaborating work together in the activism space. Like, And I think contrary to what we're led to believe, like, it was happening long before the civil rights area that marginalized groups were empowering and working together. And I think both in recognizing how our problems are different as well as similar, but how we all play a role in um, each other's liberation, like, it's not a competition. And as a Korean American who's very white passing and very palatable to whiteness, like it's even more important that I consistently recognize the limitations of my voice and my work in these conversations and know when it's incredibly vital to have different voices leading the conversation, which is often. And I mean it when I say that our liberation is absolutely all tied together because it is. So when we're lifting our most marginalized communities, we're all benefiting. Like It's really just as simple as that.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. And just sort of going back to what you said there about how people perceive you. Do you ever feel like you have to shrink yourself within the argument for other people?
1: I mean, yes. And no, I do feel like I often have to shrink myself in certain spaces. Like it's taken me a while to understand, um, that I do come off as white passing in most conversations. So it is really hard, um, kind of acknowledging, like I said, the limitations of my work and my voice. And I do feel like I often need to shrink myself, but not necessarily, I think, at my demise. I think it's at um, really the success of lifting other voices. So I never feel like it's like a give and take relationship. Like it feels like it's a natural thing. Like this isn't my space. Like someone else is better um, suited for this. Um, so just kind of acknowledging that.
0: It's a difficult one to, to, to be in like, and I hear what you're saying we could sort of talk about diversity and work that's going on for the ages. And I think it's something that is an ongoing conversation. And if it had a simple answer, then we wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> True, true. So can you talk about in terms of your work now, what are you working on that you're excited about?
1: yeah um from a studio perspective i'm just about to get started on the second phase of branding this anti-racist consulting company and it's just led by some pretty incredible women of color and from the start it's been such a project that's been a passion of mine Um, the people are amazing the positioning all of it we've really just been on sync creatively um, so I'm really looking forward to like continuing that. Um, more personally, I've actually been working on some playful illustrations of my home. Yes. Including dogs and other things I don't usually draw. Um, and they'll probably never see the light of day online, but it's been kind of nice just drawing something personal for me.
0: That must be quite cool though. Cause I imagine there must be some stuff that you create. That this is never going to see the light of day. It's like writing your journal. <laughs> you need that.
1: Yes. Very often. I'm just like, I draw everything in my iPad and there's a hidden folder of like 200 artworks that I'm just like, this will never be seen by anyone. And that's fine. <laughs>
0: okay, Fair enough. Just go back to the first point as well in terms of the company. I think that's really cool because I, I guess in a wider point and we can touch on the, what we spoke about before, I think it's important to have that community of people to kind of spread the load with you because it's too much to carry by yourself. Absolutely. And can you talk about like the importance of that community and sort of in that aspect?
1: Yeah, I mean, community has been really vital for me, not only in just who I'm working with directly, like online and through social media stuff, but just as a business owner, I've really heavily relied on collaboration and partnerships. I have a few different wonderful partnerships um, with different like black entrepreneurial women that bring me work, I bring them work, it's a really great relationship. And then in terms of like the work that I'm actually doing um, on a daily basis, like there's a real impact that comes from working with small business owners. I think that's something I've really realized being in the design space, um, something that's like my power and I can help with is like really getting them off the ground and giving them the tools to feel empowered and starting their business. And kind of how that's connected with now, like, hey, I can help, you know, organizations and small businesses that are actually working in the equity space for good. It's been kind of just like this whole like aha moment of like this is what i should be doing and this collaboration is really crucial i think to my work moving forward
0: that's really cool when you get those little aha moments isn't it and it kind of makes all those people experiences more worthwhile for knowing that you're on the right path
1: absolutely like i didn't hate making small brands you know for like random craft shops and bandana dog companies like those were fun and all but it's just something like when it matches up with my interests i'm just like ooh, this is it
0: yeah 100 percent. and i hear what you're saying like even the stuff you're doing before like you could still see like the skills that you learned from that and what you bring into today really so it all kind of it all counts really there's always lessons
1: oh yeah definitely
0: so as we kind of move towards the kind of final stretch of the conversation if you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? And I know you're not that old anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know. A couple years back. <laughs> uh, I'm like, uh, what would I tell myself? I feel like I'd say something along the lines of like, you don't have to have every small detail of your life planned out. Like, first of all, it just simply can't be done as much as you want it to be. And second of all, like life surprises can work for the good too so just relax this is me talking to myself like five years ago so I don't know if this counts as younger self
0: <laughs> that's such an interesting point because trying to plan things out control things I think that's definitely a wider society type thing and I guess it almost ties into maybe even artwork because do you ever I mean must happened to you, you must have like bits of work that you don't finish but do you sort of feel like that ever ties into the artwork having to finish it and having that endpoint?
1: absolutely i feel like consistently i just don't finish stuff and i abandon it or i finish something and i'm like not satisfied with it and i had a very like sincere plan in my mind of how it was going to turn out and it didn't and i'm just like oh this did not meet my expectations i don't really like it and it's just been like really hard getting past that as an artist like not only just in my work life but just in all my work when stuff doesn't live up to what you planned.
0: yeah and i guess as an artist as well sometimes it's difficult to know say not always but when is something finished or when should you just leave it alone and not keep over overworking (laughs) it I guess you must refine that as, as as you get more experienced
1: oh definitely I definitely think it's like something you learn like I really find often that like I'll start something and finish it and then realize a month later that it's not complete because i have a bunch of extra thoughts on it so it just feels like i'm constantly always revising things but sometimes i'm just like something ends and i'm like i don't want to deal with it anymore and i'm done with it
0: (laughs) i think that makes sense and sort of staying on (laughs) that theme really of finishing an artwork when you complete a piece of art is it the finish of something or is it the start of something
1: Uh, i'd say like either or like i typically find that it's usually the start of something else especially when i'm just like starting into a topic like particularly when i'm like starting an educational like series on instagram like i'll start make this five slide thing and then i'm like man i have like content for 40 more slides 100 more and it doesn't mean i'm actually going to do it um but it definitely seems like it always starts something else at some point even though i'm not sure what that is yet
0: but then i guess it also starts things for other people because it creates a life for them as well
1: that's true too. I didn't even think of it that way I'm like that's a good way to think about it too
0: i on that bombshell of great ideas I think I'm out of like chat really <laughs> 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 I think that is like an important point because I ask that question in terms of like racism does the finish line represent something to you or is it the end of something or the start of something and often people say to me no it's probably the start of something because it shows them what's possible and then they kind of kick on in their own life it's just really interesting to kind of hear your perspective same sort of thing really because i still think it's a way of expression are being moving in space or whatnot
1: definitely i'm just like now my mind is racing i'm like this is the start of everything and i'm just like off on a tangent in my head but i'm like yes couldn't agree more
0: awesome actually can i just go back to what you just said that it's really interesting when you said your head's racing about what are you kind of what's kind of one of the first things that you're thinking about
1: (laughs) i'm just like i don't i was just position positioning myself i think in the grand scheme of things which i don't always often contextualize myself in that large of a setting but i was just like man i could be starting this you know like small little cog movement that leads to all these other things and i was thinking about other people's impact and then i was just imagining this very large machine that's propelling forward into great things in the future This is definitely a very weird visual that just came to my head, but I was like, man, we're all doing stuff, and it's doing stuff in the future.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like you said, you just don't know who it impacts, really. I think that's an amazing thing.
1: Yeah. I'm just like, I think that the mystery, I think, in reach is exciting. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Sometimes one of the best things is the mystery, probably actually not knowing sometimes. Definitely. So as we get towards the end of the conversation, what is one non-negotiable behavior, habit or superstition that you do daily?
1: I feel like this is going to sound really basic, but honestly, it's a generous cup of coffee every morning. Like I got really addicted to caffeine and school and, like now, it's just like non negotiable. Like, anytime I wake up, I make a full pot and drink it all before like 11 a.m. And that's just how I live now. It's just like 90% of my energy is caffeine at all
0: times. <laughs> Do you know what? Some of the people I speak to, it's either team coffee or team orange juice. So, I think <laughs> team coffee tends to win. <laughs>
1: I didn't know orange juice was like on the options. Like, I don't think it stands a chance. Like, I thought you were going to say like tea or something.
0: Like, no, come on. No, we've had a, a couple of people that like the the orange juice. so Yeah, I mean, I'm not quite sure. I'm definitely team coffee. I think. I think. Yeah, you definitely need a, co- a nice cup of coffee in the morning <laughs> to kind of set things off. Anyhow, so coffee aside, where could people follow your journey online?
1: Yes. um, You can mostly find me on Instagram at Courtney on design, but like a Gen Z person, I am on all of the platforms. I am on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, even TikTok, even if no one's following me on there, usually under Courtney on design as well. So
0: awesome. Courtney! It's been great talking to you. Thank you for being a guest on a runner's eye podcast.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't be more flattered to be here. And this was such a great conversation.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of A Runner's Life. If you found value in this episode and you want to support the show, please share with your community, post on your social media channels, and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash A Runner's Life. If you want to get updates on the podcast or you want to see what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at A Runner's Life underscore podcast and at the marathon markers your time is valuable so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a runner's life podcast